Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. I want to welcome everybody joining us online. Everybody seems to be in a great mood here this morning, so well done by you. If you're not in a good mood, you have forgotten the number one reason to be in a good mood. Okay, just throwing that back out there. All right, so if you're a little grumpy today, get your espresso before you leave. And just remember, you could be in jail right now, in hell right now, but you're not. You're in the house of God, in the presence of God. It could be way worse. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Well, this weekend, uh, we have a very special privilege. One of my best friends in it is with us this weekend. He is from the East Coast. Um, which to me, you know, West is best, East is something else, all right? But before I bring him out, I want you to know he talks a little bit differently than we do, okay? So get past the draw, okay, because the man is a savage. We met about a year and a half ago, and he is, when I went to their church, he's the closest thing uh, to me that I've met. I mean, we, we just, we literally hit it off and I, I love having him in my life. He's a phenomenal communicator. He's a phenomenal leader. But I said this, if any of you saw the, the social media post this week, Aaron's legitimately one of the best shepherds I've ever met in my life. And that's how I measure a pastor. A shepherd. Do they shepherd? And Aaron's an incredible Shepherd, I want you to get ready to take some notes. He shared his message with me yesterday. I just about got back online and said, if you're not in church this weekend, you are an idiot because it is clearly about to go down. Would you welcome one of my best friends on the planet, Pastor Aaron Kennedy? Love you. Appreciate you. Good morning. Well, those are awfully kind words. Um, I've prayed that you would have the gift of interpretation today so that you can hear what I'm saying. Uh, I can tell you that not everyone back home sounds like this, but I do, all right? So we're going to have a good time today. Uh, Your pastor is one of my best friends, and um, he is an incredible pastor. He's an incredible communicator. He is all those things. But what I love most about Preston is he's a great friend. And he was with me. We met 20 years, uh, 20 years, 20 months ago. Uh, But he was at my father's funeral. My father suddenly passed away in February of this year. And he flew through the night to be there. And I can't tell you what that did for me when I walked out to do my father's eulogy and he was sitting there. And I just want you to know that you have an incredible man of God, a credible team that leads this church. But I treasure him because he is literally one of my best friends. Can we just thank God for Pastor Preston and the man of God he is? Awesome. All right, well, I'm I'm excited to be here. The title of today's message is Fix It, Jesus. Fix It, Jesus. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, Jesus, you got to fix it. All right, look at your other neighbor, the one that just looked at the back of your head, and now they're offended with you. And look at them and say, Fix It, Jesus. All right, now now, now here's the deal. Why I love that statement is how many of you know that pretty much sums up all of 2020? Lord Jesus, just fix it. It's just broke, right? 
And what's so funny about that statement is like, I remember at the beginning of the year that this was prophetically supposed to be like 2020, the year of perfect vision. Do y'all remember that? How many of you know that didn't happen? Uh, with all the prophetic voices we have and spiritual IQ, nobody told me we we're going to have COVID. Nobody told me that we we're going to have racial tensions. Nobody told me that we we're going to have fights over face masks. And nobody told me that we were going to have a terrible election season. You know, the bottom line is that if there was ever a statement created that talks about 2020, it's fix it, Jesus. How many of y'all saw COVID coming? It's funny, nobody. And we come to this place and we begin to recognize that there's some things that happen in this life that we don't see coming. Does anybody remember that COVID was only supposed to last two weeks? Y'all remember that? That was eight months ago, guys, eight months ago, eight long months. So when we come to this place, what's so important is that we look at what the Scriptures say. If you peel back a little bit of the outer layers of God's Word, then you begin to find yourself within the story. And that's what I want to show you today. So if you have your Bible, I hope you're going to take some notes. But John 21 is where we're going to start today. And here's what I love about the Scriptures, is that the disciples didn't see Jesus' death coming. Now, when you read the Bible, you're kind of shocked by that point because they should have. Because Jesus over and over and over and over and over and over and over again told them that this was going to take place. And when we read back over the Scriptures, it's pretty blatant how he communicates it. But somehow they missed that it was going to happen in the way in which it did. And here we find ourselves in a moment with some things happening that we didn't see coming. And I think it's important to just go to the Scriptures and see what it has to say because it speaks to all of us. A quote that I'd like for you to write down as we begin today, and it's by Jack Hayford. Pastor Jack is an amazing man. I'm absolutely jealous that your pastor knows him. But he says this quote. He says, Fear and pride are close friends. Fear and pride are close friends. I'd say it this way. You know, when we think about pride, most of the time we think about cockiness or arrogance. But one of the ways in which pride manifests itself in our lives is fear. I would say this. We all wrestle with fear. But the root of fear is pride. Because we want to grab back the controls of our life. Because in those places that fear is found, we haven't really surrendered trust to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what we find in the disciples. You know, they were really bold. They were crazy at times while Jesus was here on the earth. But when he died, all of them scattered except for one, and it was John. John was the only disciple who was at the feet of Jesus when he died on the cross. Over the next 50 days after Jesus was resurrected, Jesus would encounter all the disciples, many other followers, and he would restore them, he would speak to them, he would confront them. And there, 50 days later, they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and forever they would go change the world. But it was in these moments that we see Ourselves. And that's the story that we're going to read today. 
This is the story, and in your Bible, it might even actually have the heading that Jesus restores Peter. But I want you to catch that in this moment, I believe Jesus is actually confronting Peter. And he's saying some things have to change for this relationship to continue. And as your pastor would say, there's a savage moment that Jesus has with Peter. And it's brilliant in the leader that Jesus is. So let's read the scriptures. John 21, 15 through 22. It says, after breakfast, how many of you like breakfast? Come on, somebody. That's why you had this service, right? You wanted to eat first. Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And listen to this. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Let's pause there for just a second. I'm not going to go into the Greek and all the meanings that are going on. Many of you have heard a message preached about these verses before. But I just want to point out one thing is that Jesus is dealing with Peter. And he's looking at him. And every single time he's asking, do you agape me? Now that means the ultimate love. The selfless love. And Peter's response at this moment in his life, he doesn't want to lie. He's been hiding. He's tried to be everything he thought Jesus wanted him to be. But in his brokenness after denying Christ three times, Peter comes to this place that says, I'm just going to be honest with Jesus. And his response is, I phileo you. Which means I like you strongly. But Jesus, I don't love you the same way that you love me. And in the third time that Jesus asks the question, Jesus doesn't ask Peter to raise his love to Jesus' level. Jesus comes into that place and says, do you phileo me? I want you to hear me in these verses that we just read is the story of the gospel. It's not me ascending to Jesus' level. It's the story that he came and met me. It's the story that he came and pursued me. So if you came in here broken today and you don't feel like you fit in, let me tell you something. The gospel message is a message that Jesus was the one who came to earth, that Jesus was the one who came after us. We didn't have to go after him. I didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to serve Jesus. No, the Holy Spirit drew me, brought me into relationship, and all I did was surrender my life to that love. There is hope for every crazy person in this room. Why? Because of Jesus. He's that good. Come on, somebody in this house. That's how good our God is. And I want you to tell me that's good news. You know why? Because I was a professional sinner. Anybody ever been good at sinning? If there was anybody good at sinning, that was me. I was good at it. And yet Jesus in his love found me. Now listen, that's awesome, but it gets better. So let's read what it goes on to say. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Listen to this. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Mm, that doesn't sound fun. Then Jesus told him, follow me. So Jesus makes that statement. says, this is how you're going to die. And then he says, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to him during the Last Supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? 
Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you, sucker? As for you, follow me. The first point, and there's three points, because every great message has three points. That's sarcasm, guys. The first point is this. Peter was saying, fix it. Jesus was saying, face it. Peter was saying, fix it. Jesus was saying, face it. This is such an important moment in Peter's life. He had one real major fear in his life that he really had never overcome. I mean, Peter, I love this character in Scripture because Peter always stuck his foot in his mouth. Does anybody have a friend that always sticks their foot in their mouth? I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the person next to you. Peter was that friend. He was the one who, if Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you and I'm going to walk on water. I mean, how awesome is that, that Peter walked on water? Jesus was the guy upon the night of Jesus' arrest that took out the knife, right, and cut the dude's ear off. How many of you like to have a friend that's willing to go to blows for you? Especially early on in COVID when it came to toilet paper, right? But Peter had this fear when he lost control and things didn't go the way he thought that they should go, that he tried to grab back the reins. In the two stories that I just mentioned, when he was walking on the water, he began to get his eyes off of Jesus and put it on the waves that were crashing around him. And he began to sink. The night that he pulled out the knife to protect Jesus, Jesus had just warned him about what's getting ready to happen. And Peter, in his fear, begins to fight against the will of God, thinking he's doing the right thing, instead of in unison with what Jesus was trying to do in that moment. Peter wanted Jesus to fix it, but Jesus was doing something greater. He was telling Peter to face it. Many want a fix-it Jesus. But we serve a face-it God. All throughout Scripture, we see examples of Moses not growing around the Red Sea. But Jesus told him, or God spoke, go through the Red Sea. David didn't get a chance to go around the giant. No, he had to kill that sucker. And it was the power of God on his life that enabled him to do it. In our culture today, many want a fix-it Jesus. But we serve a God who desires to empower you to face the things of life instead of just fix them. Listen, if COVID has taught us anything, there is a supernatural grace upon the church in this moment to look at its foundation and see the cracks that are there. That we would be prepared and ready for what lies ahead. We don't serve a fix-it Jesus. We serve a face-it God. And this is one of the things that I want you to catch. There, there, there's brokenness all over this room in all of our lives. Like, can we do a participatory part of the message real quick? How many of us have had bad stuff happen in our life? Right? 
And here's, here's the thing that we buy in, 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 into in church. If I serve Jesus, then it's all going to be okay. Listen, there's some things in your history that have happened that are painful, right? And so there has to be a better answer than Jesus is just going to fix it. There has to be something that God desires to do in my life that begins to not just shift my perspective of that past pain, but then begins to use it for his glory in my life and build in me something that he desires to do. So many people get frustrated in their faith when Jesus doesn't fix it. What I'm saying to you today is there's a better alternative, and it's called facing those things. Facing those places in our life. Till this point, Jesus had basically fixed all the disciples' issues. I mean, can you imagine being with somebody who literally almost everybody was healed? Every demon was cast out. Uh, Do you guys remember the time when Jesus looked at the disciples and said, hey, why don't you feed the crowd? And they all look back at him and say, huh? And so they go and gather a bunch of loaves or a few loaves, a few fishes, and they bring it to Jesus, but Jesus was the one that blessed it and it multiplied. But here in this moment, something is shifting in their lives, and it is Jesus' will. There's a switch that's being flipped for them. Listen to this. The switch from immaturity to maturity is when we begin to face the things in our life instead of just pray that Jesus would fix it. This sounds totally crazy, but they were, the disciples, crutched up on Jesus. Jesus had become their crutch. And Jesus knew that. That's why he said, remember, it's better for you that I go away. Because there's something that's coming to you, the person of the Holy Spirit. That's going to fill you so that you can face the things that you've just looked to me to fix. Fear always shows the place of independence that still exists in the inner places of our heart. And Peter had a fear of death. And here Jesus comes in this confrontation. And he tells him he loves him. He's giving him purpose. It's amazing. But then he comes to this place and says, guess what, Peter? Your greatest fear is going to happen. You're going to give your life for me. And Jesus so incredibly says, if it costs you your life, will you follow me? Peter, if you have to face your greatest fear, am I worth it? Jesus, I just want you to fix it. Now, Peter, I died on the cross, gave my spirit up, so that you could be full of my spirit, so that you could face it. Point number two, Peter wanted life to be fair. Jesus wanted Peter to experience the goodness of his grace. Peter wanted life to be fair, but Jesus wanted Peter to experience the goodness of his grace. Now, now this is why I love the Bible, or, or one of the reasons, many reasons, you know, is that it's hilarious. It is so funny. If you read the intricacies of it, there are literally moments in Scripture that are hilarious. And this is one of those moments. So I want to go back to John 21, 19, and 21. Okay? So this is just after Jesus looks at Peter, says, you're going to die for me. Follow me. 
And watch what Peter says. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. And Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. The one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? All right, real quick. Who is the disciple that Jesus loved? Y'all are awesome. The answer is John, okay? I'm going to ask the question again. We all say John. We all feel like winners, okay? Who is the disciple that Jesus loved? Y'all are the smartest people, well-educated. All right, so whose gospel are we reading? Y'all are smart, I'm telling you. Okay, do you not find the humor in the fact that we're reading John's gospel and John wrote that he was the disciple Jesus loved? And I think it's even funnier because we believe the scriptures are breathed on by the Holy Spirit. So John was just writing what he heard from the Holy Spirit, which is hilarious because you know he was writing it with a smirk. I'm God's favorite. I told you guys. The entire time. Right? Not only that, but Peter was just told, you're going to die for me. Follow me. And Peter's next statement out of his mouth is what about that rascal? In essence, what Peter said, if I'm going to die for you, that rascal better die too. If I'm going down, he better go down also. And I love what Jesus says, right? Jesus looks at him and says, if I want him to remain alive until I come back, what's that to you? Basically dropped the mic and walked away. Listen to me. Peter wanted life to be fair. Jesus wanted Peter to experience the goodness of his grace. There's something greater than fairness. And this is so culturally relevant right now. Because listen, this is the thing that so many people are battling. And this is what drives me crazy about church sometimes. I've grown up in church my entire life, but it just drives me crazy because we say things Like, well, grace isn't fair. We say that when everything's good. Nobody says that when it's bad. Because we desire fairness when we feel like our life is harder than someone else's. One of the greatest enemies of what God desires to do in your life is your comparison to what he's doing in someone else's. One of the greatest enemies to what God desires to do in your life is you comparing your life and your journey to someone else's. This is what Instagram does for our culture, right? Because we put up the best version of ourselves, but we look at Instagram and social media like it's the reality of everyone else. Instead of recognizing that it's their highlight reel too. Which means it's not true. But we compare our lives all the time. And we're measuring what we're going through based on what someone else is going through. The enemy of comparison will rob us of our freedom to be who God designed and authored us to be. Man, I just want life to be fair. If i got to die for you, if I've got to go through something hard then they better go through something hard too. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. 
You're graced for your race. You're not graced for somebody else's. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, grace for the race. Great. Listen, you're graced for the race that God has called you to. You're not graced for somebody else's race. Now, I can get jealous of Pastor Preston's race. Because he's in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is heaven. There's a golf course everywhere. Like when I imagine what heaven is like, Scottsdale's it. I know it's 100 degrees, but back where I'm from, there's something called humidity. Do you all know what that is? No, you don't. You've never even experienced it. Somebody told me the other day, man, it's really humid out here today. It's like 15%. I was like, hush your mouth. It's like 90% back home. It's literally like trying to breathe water. But here's the deal is that I have to recognize that God's called me where he's called me. And I'm graced for that race that God has set before me. And God's grace is greater than fairness. Listen, when I run the race that God set before me, I experience grace in my life. And I think we get so confused on what mercy is versus grace. Listen to me, you really want to experience grace, then you get in the direction and the path that God's called you to. You run that race and don't compare your life to someone else's. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, and it's Paul speaking. And it's a passage more than likely you've heard before. He's writing to the church in Corinth. He's laying out some things for him, and he's, and he's having a hard time because he's, he's, he's up against some opposition. But he comes to this place, even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, starting in verse 7. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. How many of you want to sign up for a thorn in your flesh? A messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me, listen to this, keep me from becoming proud. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. Think about that. Boast about the places he was weak. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take, ple- I take pleasure. So now he boasts in it. Now he's taking pleasure in it. I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, I am strong. Listen to me. God doesn't always call you to what you're good at. Sometimes God calls you to what you're not good at so that you have to rely and lean on His grace. And recognizing that so often in church we buy the mindset, well, I want to use what I'm gifted at. Sometimes God will call you to what you're not gifted at so that you get to experience more of His grace so that you can't become proud. It's an amazing thing to look at how the disciples were spread out all over the world. Like John was the great witness. He had a revelation of God's love and he wrote the book of Revelation. Paul was the most educated He was so smart. He was so trained. Yet he was a teacher and he was called to the Gentiles. And Peter was the great apostle. 
And Peter, a fisherman, was called to the most educated, the Jewish people. You know, not a single one time, I have a 12-year-old at home. And, uh, and, we, and, you know, for those of you who wonder, we have children so that they'll do chores. There's no doubt about it. That is the reason, okay? Uh, but he's never taken out the trash and come inside and said, Dad, I feel so fulfilled today. Thank you. You know why he takes out the trash? Because he's part of the family. You see, when we come to church, we don't come here for what we get out of it. God calls us to a family. And we do things because we're part of the family. And the joy we get out of being part of the family outweighs the sacrifice that we carry. Can I get a good amen in this? That's some good preaching today, all right? Grace is not the absence of my weakness. It's the presence of his strength. It's not the absence of fearful thoughts, but the refusal to allow them to influence my actions. Unchecked fear produces panic, but faith that is allowed to grow produces great peace and rest. You remember that quote at the beginning of the message from Pastor Jack that said, fear and pride are close friends? Well, if the root of fear is pride, then the root of faith is grace. God, I want it to be fair. No, no, no. I want you to experience my grace. Grace for your race. The last point that I have for you today as we get ready to close the service is grace is the work of the Holy Spirit. Grace is the work of the Holy Spirit. The first two points were observations of Peter. This last point really applies theologically to all of us in this room. You know, grace is one of those things that's very difficult to understand. We sing about it, we preach about it, but very few people actually understand it. Like some, some in, in theology actually almost, it's, it's like this thing we just can't get our mind around. What is it? It's so important. Sounds good. I like to sing about it. Amazing grace. But what is it in my life? Listen to me. Grace is the work of the Holy Spirit. You have never experienced grace that the Holy Spirit wasn't present. And you have never experienced the Holy Spirit that grace wasn't there. Jesus came, scriptures declare, full of what? Grace and truth. John 13, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus begins to introduce the person of the Holy Spirit, and he introduces the Holy Spirit as truth. He says there is no truth without the Holy Spirit. He is truth. Well, if Jesus was full of grace and truth, and truth is the Holy Spirit, then guess what grace is? It's the Holy Spirit. And here we come to this place that there's this switch that's turned in Peter's life. Up to this point, Jesus had fixed it. The whole reason why the cross exists was not just to get us to heaven, but to get heaven into us, the person of the Holy Spirit. Peter would march to his death, history tells us. Peter 
would walk down the street and his shadow would heal people. Peter was fierce in his love for Jesus and the man that he became. And the difference maker was the person of the Holy Spirit in his life. It wasn't that Peter grew up. It was that the Holy Spirit matured him because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You know, when I was growing up, I'm a church brat, so I grew up in church all my life. My dad started our church 36 years ago and transitioned it to me six years ago. But whenever I was growing up and I heard that passage of Scripture, I'd be like, why is my dad talking about yolks and eggs? What does that have to do with anything? That's funny. I don't care what you say. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. Um, but you know what a yoke is? It's the thing that they place on oxen so that they're operating in unity. And you can have, you know, two to four, whatever the number is. But it's the harnessing that they place on the oxen so they move together and they work together and there's power there that wouldn't be there singularly. Listen, the yoke that God is calling you to is the person of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, listen, when you yoke up with me, something begins to shift in your life. There's a grace that's on your life to do what wasn't there before. There's a grace that I want to place on you that allows you to journey through this life and face things, not get around them. Like when you think about the role of oxen, like plowing dirt doesn't sound fun. It's not easy. But it's out of the hard things of life that we actually find the goodness of God. It's out of the hard things of life that we actually discover how awesome His grace is. You see, until we encounter the hard thing and we discover His grace, all of it's theory. And we have way too many people in church today that their faith is theory. Now, God wants you to experience how awesome His grace is, how good it is to be yoked up with Him. That we don't serve one who just fixes it. We serve a God who allows us to face it. And the Holy Spirit gave me this saying many years ago, and we use it around our staff all the time. But it's simply this, when we let him, the Holy Spirit will do the heavy lifting. When we let him, the Holy Spirit will do the heavy lifting. And so much of the stress and the fear and the anxiety that we face is, listen, when we're carrying the yoke, but we begin to bump up and try to do our own thing. And in those moments, it's the time to get back into adjustment with Him, get back into unity with Him, so that there's an ease that comes as we face the things in this life. I'm going to close with a story of how I learned this. Six years ago, I have a youngest son. He is six years old. Lauren and I uh, 
have a 12-year-old, and uh, when we had him, we, we whispered just a few times, and there he was. For David, we whispered a long time and got tired of whispering, and so uh, David finally showed up. And he was a son of promise. And life had really been good up to that point. Four days after David was born, Lauren laid down to get a nap. How many new mamas in this house know about a nap after you have a baby? She laid down and she woke up and she couldn't hear out of her right side. It wasn't something that like scared us because we just thought it was an ear infection, you know, and, and we were just, it was just going to clear up, whatever. Well, just a few days after that, I went to speak at a conference. And on the way down to that conference, she started calling me. She said, something's wrong with David. Something's wrong with David. I was like, there's nothing wrong with that boy. Feed him. He's fine. Thankful for our mother's intuition because she took him to the doctor. And they put the stethoscope up to his heart. And it was beating over 300 beats per minute. And the doctor freaked out. They rushed David to the hospital. Lauren was calling me. I was a few hours away. We didn't know what was wrong. Turns out that it was a heart condition, and they shocked him back into rhythm. He had been in that rhythm for over eight hours. And so we thought everything was fine. We spent two nights in the hospital, and then all of a sudden, David came down with a virus. And so we had to stay a lot longer in the hospital. And during all this time, Lauren's hearing isn't getting any better. We go for a follow-up. She actually saw two, two doctors, and they thought that it was just an ear infection. They gave her steroids and just thought it was just going to come back. But we went to his, David's pediatrician to follow up on his heart. And we just asked the pediatrician, we're like, do you mind just taking a look at her ear? And he looked at it and immediately he said, her hearing's not coming back. You need to go see a specialist immediately. Come to find out she'd had a stroke in her, in her ear and lost her hearing. So just imagine this. We have a newborn that has a heart condition. We have to give medicine to him every eight hours on the hour. And I have a wife who's scared to death for her newborn, but she can't hear him at certain times of night if she's sleeping on the wrong side. If that wasn't hard enough, just a few months later, David about passed away from RSV, which got very serious, and we ended up back in the hospital for an extended stay. In the midst of all that time, my dad came to me, and he's like, hey, I think it's time for us to transition the church to you. How many of you know what my wife's answer was? I'm not going to tell you exactly what she said, but no was the predominant theme of what she said. I went to my dad, who was absolutely gracious, and he said, you know, I, I, I totally understand. Let's just pray about it. Let's see what God says. I was doing a, a funeral at a cemetery, and my mentor called me. And I'd just gotten done, and I walked off to the side, he said, Aaron, I've got a prophetic word for you. And my first reaction was, it better be a really nice prophetic word. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Have you ever been in that season where, God, if you're going to speak, it better be good. And he said, Aaron, he said, when I was praying for you this morning, the Holy Spirit said that there's a storm raging in your life. And he said, Aaron, the word of the Lord is for you to face the storm. Embrace the storm. Because God is in the storm and he desires to do something supernatural in your life in this season. How many of you know that I didn't like that word? Because I wanted Jesus to fix it. I wanted Jesus to just take all of it away. 
and fix it. But I went home and I just prayed and I knew it was a word from God. And a few weeks later, I shared it in a message, the story. And I came home that day to my wife who was sitting in our chair in the living room. I'll never forget it. And she had David in her lap and tears were rolling down her face as I came in the house and I was washing my hands so I could get to David. And she looked at me, she said, Aaron, it's time for us to go do what God's told us to do and to face this place in our life. And we will not allow what the enemy's trying to do to keep us from what God desires to do in our life. Six months later, we took the church. I wish I could tell you that it's been easy. I wish I could tell you that the clouds parted and all we felt was a grace cloud. But no, life's been hard. We've lost both of our fathers over these years for different circumstances. We've journeyed through many hard things in our life. What I can tell you and what I know with everything in my being is that grace is not the absence of hard things. Grace is the ability to walk through hard things and know that I'm loved by a perfect father. Come on, somebody. That's what grace is. And that's what God so desires for you to know in your life. It's not Jesus fix it. No, it's I'm giving you someone so that you can face it. It's not fair. Man, I wish I could tell you it's fair. It's not. Some of your lives have been hard. And you get so disgruntled on church because people keep on trying to tell you, oh, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. No, some things are really broken and they're really hard. But there's something that is awesome and it is His grace. And Jesus gave up the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit could live in you. Grace is the work of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.